In Herman Melville's Moby Dick, we meet Captain Ahab for the first time, long after the Pequod has left Nantucket. There was, says Melville's Ishmael, an infinity of firmest fortitude, a determinate, unsurrenderable willfulness in the fixed and fearless forward dedication of that glance. Not a word he spoke, nor did his officers say aught to him, though by all their minutest gestures and expressions, they plainly showed the uneasy, if not painful consciousness of being under a troubled master eye. And not only that, but moody stricken Ahab stood before them with a crucifixion in his face in all the nameless, regal, overbearing dignity of some mighty woe. From Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz, and you're listening to The After Dinner Scholar. Over the past years, we've done several podcasts about Moby Dick. Not a problem. The book is so rich, so complex, that one could easily teach a semester-long course on it and do no more than scratch the surface. Dr. Virginia Arbery, has taught Moby Dick for years and is once again reading it with our Wyoming Catholic seniors. Someone, well, who is actually my son John, has <laughs> commented that the great Greek epic, the Iliad, is about war. The great Roman epic, the Aeneid, is about conquest. The great Christian epic, the Divine Comedy, is about uh, heaven. And the great American epic, Moby Dick, is about a business trip. Is that fair? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it was about a business trip, at least according to the owners of the vessel, the Pequod, until their chosen captain, Ahab, decides to suborn that purpose to his, which is vengeance against the white whale, Moby Dick. And, of course, this causes first mate, Starbuck, uh, to have grave reservations that what they're supposed to be doing, which is catching a lot of whales for oil to sell back shore, um, is now a mission for satisfying Ahab's monomania. Well, when we first meet Ahab, we read, quote, moody stricken Ahab mm -hmm. stood before them with a crucifixion in his face mm -hmm. and all the nameless regal overbearing dignity of some mighty woe. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about Ahab and his mm -hmm. troubles as mm -hmm. he embarks on the whaling vessel. Yeah. Ahab is a, a fascinating, complex character. His uh, superiority is evident. Ishmael, who's the narrator, you would call the the initiate into whaling. Before that, he's been a failed school teacher who was tired of trying to correct boys taller than he. Uh, but he has a, a shared sensibility to Ahab's, which is a darkness that is unremitting. Ahab is seeking, as he says in the famous quarterdeck scene, when he gathers all the crew and his mates uh, to make a commitment, as I've said, to revenge. And he nails a doubloon, a Spanish coin, to the masthead and gives it as a, a symbolic goal of the first one who calls for the whale, who sees it. Um, and his, 
his explanation when Starbuck looks cross-eyed at him <laughs> over this oath, this covenant that that Ahab has made everyone who's who's actually inspired everyone to make. Um, when he looks cross-eyed at him, Ahab responds, "I will, I will hit through the mask, the mask that hides from me." To paraphrase him, whether the whale is agent or principal of a malevolent being, which means that he is prisoner in his in his words, prisoner of a fate that he has no control over. So his will is in contest with this whale, which, well, it only took off his leg in a previous encounter, but it becomes symbolic of his motion being impeded, his own will being unencumbered. And um, his darkness seems to go back to a, a satanic kind of association. He has a livid white mark from head to toe, Tashtigo, the Indian uh, harpooner says, which is exactly the way Milton's Satan is described. And yet, he's also uh, someone who is capable of great compassion and feeling. So he's, he's a complicated character, and I, I don't want to dismiss him just as a nut <laughs> or just simply as evil, because he has other dimensions that Ishmael observes throughout the novel. Well, when Ishmael comments on his name mm -hmm. and his namesake, mm -hmm. uh, possibly the most evil of the kings of Israel, mm -hmm. and yet an unpredictable guy, mm. he's, paid to, he's told to pay no heed to it. It mm -hmm. was just Ahab's crazy widowed mother's idea. <laughs> yeah. But we don't believe that. Mm -hmm. What is the significance of his name? Yeah, so the, as you say, the, the wickedest king, the one who... Elijah challenges the gods of his wife Jezebel on Mount Carmel, and there's a figure in in the novel whose name is Elijah, who keeps hounding uh, Queequeg and Ishmael as they go on to the boat, warning them about the captain Ahab. Yeah, there are all kinds of biblical imagery. Partly, what I think we're dealing with, and I teach this course, Jim, in terms of the Exodus story. We'd look at many documents and, and literary works in terms of the Exodus story. So what we're dealing with with that biblical name is, you know, the figure who misguides or returns the people of Israel to a false god and therefore false gods and therefore betrayal of their covenant with the true God, the Lord. And so Ahab in this position of leadership suborns a legitimate purpose of a whaling voyage to taking them into the sea as wilderness as a kind of anti-Moses figure, an anti-leader who puts all of them at risk morally and uh, physically, as we see at the end when the boat, when the great ship um, is uh, sunk through the agency of the white whale. So yeah, Ahab is definitely in, paired with not only that old wicked king, but with the whole story of salvation history gone awry, gone in the wrong direction. Just before the three days chase of Moby Dick, mm -hmm. the Starbucks says to Ahab, who by this time is miserable, mm -hmm. oh, captain, my captain, noble soul, 
grand old heart. After all, why should anyone give chase to that hated fish? Mm. Away with me. Let us fly these deadly waters. Let us home. Mm. But home, wife, child, none of this sways mm. Ahab from his quest. Mm. Why not? He feels fated. He says it's fate. Actually, he's very tender at this moment with Starbuck, whom previously he's almost shot with a rifle to keep him loyal. He fears that he will cause mutiny, and therefore his uh, object will be will be undone. But um, yeah, right before this, he looks in Starbuck's eyes and he sees both his wife and his child, whom he's never reared, left behind his poor widowed uh, wife, Mary. So I think he sees in him that other life, that other possibility that both captains of the ship think that he is a decent man. Uh, Bildad says, um, Peleg says rather, Ahab has his humanities. Don't make anything about his name. Back to that incident where they learn how he was named. Although he has his humanities and we see them here and uh, Starbuck knows that this is a greater figure than any of them because he sees deeply into things. He dives down into the mysteries of, of free will. Um, and then at, shortly after this scene, he takes into his care the uh, young black boy on the boat who's been their entertainer, Pip, and who's become deranged by being abandoned in the waters for hours and a day, waiting for someone to pick him up after an aborted whaling boat. So he he has a kind of, oh, psychic reverie inside, lyrical uh, aptitude that Ahab relates to and takes that boy into his cabin, tells him to stay there, that his madness is like his own Ahab's madness and that they share an affinity for for mystery. So he does these things or on the same around the same time Jim he he's looking into the balmy Pacific. They're in that part of the Pacific that's just so warm and Melville calls it, you know, girlish winds and so forth and Ahab looking into the Pacific drops a tear. And Ishmael says in that one tear was worth all the waters of the Pacific. So I think we're supposed to see the capacity for good. And of course, after this, he turns, he goes back to his mission, and he says wildly uh, to Starbuck, 40 years, like 40 years of Moses in the wilderness, 40 years I've been wailing, giving up everything else, and um, this is my destiny. Is he an oddball, or is he kind of an everyman? Mm. Well, if he's every man, he's every man nearly crucified by his own angst. <laughs> uh, at one point, uh, Ishmael describes his hands being so tightly fisted that the nails puncture his palms like a crucified figure. He's in great, I think, I, you could help me with this, I'm sure, but I think that he's struggling with the predestination of a Calvinist heritage in New England. Um, he's supposedly a Quaker, but he's infected with that um, 
terrible despair that can come upon someone when, when he or she feels they're fated to either be saved or damned. And he's fighting against that kind of control over his own destiny throughout the novel. So in part, he's particular to the American theology that began with the Puritans, our, our legacy. What do the students think of the book and about Ahab? Well, they love it so much. They named their senior lounge where they can have libation from time to time. The Pequod here in the middle of mountains in <laughs> Wyoming. And most of them have never been on the ocean uh, on a boat. And now uh, some of them are surfers from California. But for the most part, they're pretty, they're pretty much mountain kids. Um, and they love it. They love it. They go in there fighting over why Ahab did this, or Ishmael did this, or what the nature of Ishmael and P- and uh, Queequeg's friendship is. They, they talk about the details of the whaling boat and the whole experience of whaling with a kind of respect and awe. Uh, they are, I think, I have done this book now, I, can't, I don't remember how many years, maybe seven years here, and it is their favorite novel. They always say, this is the best thing I've ever read. <laughs> Once the white whale took his leg and sent him into weeks of delirium as he returned to Nantucket, Ahab lost everything except his desire for revenge. He saw himself as the great victim, and he would get his own back, whatever the necessary sacrifice. Wife, child, friends, shipmates, the present, the future. How much better to remember St. Paul's words from Romans 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.